This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. And our goal in all of it is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we jump into the episode for today, I want you to know about the Discipleship.org Collective. This is an online community for disciples and disciple makers. You can get access to this collective for free with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, courses, and even personal and church disciple making assessments. It's pretty amazing. And it's a community, so you have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers through it as well. You might also be interested to know that there's a premium access option as well, which includes courses, certifications, and even online gatherings with other leaders. Check this out at discipleship.org collective and sign up for free. Go to discipleship.org collective to get your free membership with the discipleship.org collective. Today, we're featuring an episode from Lionshare and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Transformational Disciple Making. The episode for today is called Pacing Your Life the Way Jesus Did, featuring Dave Buring. Hey, good morning. As we're settling in, um, let me just give you a, a greet you this morning and just kind of give you a little backdrop here before we jump into our session. Some of you might be brand new to Lionshare, like what the heck is Lionshare? We actually are based... Uh, here, if you were to jump on I-65 and go south to the next exit, our office is right there. So we're, we're based uh, right out of the area here. Um, let me just show you something. I'm going to flip this light off just for a second. So I think you'll be able to see this slide better. So Mike let us in that yesterday. So um, this is what we do in the sense of like uh, a grid for us to look through. Um, we do foundational disciple making, which means Joey or Judy give their life to the Lord today. How do you ground them in the first 30 days? Do you, do you know we lose a lot of disciples to be right after they give their life to Jesus? Because it's like, come to our potluck, you're in, you're going to heaven, and we, we aren't intentional about that. So, so we have a tool that we use called Welcome to the Kingdom. You'll see that at our Lion Share table. Formational disciple making has to do with how do we form them in the image of Jesus. There's a tool we use called the Discipleship Journey that's a year-long walk that in the at the end of the year allows that person to reproduce those same things in other people. So our, our line is we don't, we refuse to make disciples. We're going to make disciple makers. And that's I hope that's part of your thinking that you take away from the forum because where we often fail is we make disciples. Like I have a pastor friend of mine in Ohio who said, Dave, I'm a great disciple maker, but he said, he, he said, I need to repent because I've never taught them how to disciple. And see, you're not done discipling someone until they know how to reproduce. And so I hope that, I hope while you're at the forum, your definition changes of that. You've really not made a disciple until you can make sure they know how to reproduce. That's part of the process. Otherwise it stops, right? Okay. So that's formational. Then there's vocational disciple making, which is we had a couple of sessions on this yesterday. How do you disciple people in their vocations to walk in the ways of God? So whether you're a doctor, you're a construction person, you're a salesperson, you're an athlete, you're an entertainer. How do you reflect God's ways in and through how you do your profession? 
The extreme example would be, how will we ever have a president, a man or woman in our country, who leads out of the ways of God unless someone's discipled them to do that? And sometimes we scratch our head, why in the world? You know. But the reality is, who's ever come alongside a government leader that's growing into a role like that and said, would you let me walk alongside of you and teach you God's ways so that you have a paradigm to look through as you serve in that role? So, I mean, obviously I'm picking the big extreme example, but, but that works its way down. Here in Nashville, we work a lot with artists. And so it's discipling artists in the ways of God so that as they view their platform, it's not all about me and my fame and how many tweets did I get. It's, it's more about, am I glorifying God? Or am I glorifying myself? And so that, so there's all those, so, so that's vocational disciple making. We have a new book that'll be out next year on that, so you can keep your eyes open for that. And then leadership disciple-making. Here's what we mean by that. There's tremendous leadership material out there, but oftentimes what I run into is it's not tethered to the truth of Scripture. And so when we talk about leadership disciple-making, what we're meaning is it's rooted in the ways of God, in God's character, so that it's not just, here's hope and this is a great suggestion some leader gave me. You're standing on the ways of God in Scripture as a leader, all right, so that you can stand with a strong spine and a tender heart as you have to lead, all right? So that's that's what we do. And attached to all these things are different resources and different kinds of training and all. If you go to lionshare.org, you'll, you'll learn more about that. That's kind of the tracks we've had. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Our next session should be a hot one, all right? Uh, we actually asked Bobby if we could not record it uh, so there can just be freedom to talk. But we're going to... We're going to deal with some core things. Sean Holland and Heather Zempel, who are here, are going to join me. We're going to talk about what is a grid that you should look at in light of these topics. And, you know, it seems like every week a new topic that somebody's offended by, right? And um, so how do, you, how do you view these? So we're going to take about 40 minutes and talk about that. And then we'll have 20 minutes where we're going to answer questions. And they're not going to be, you know, theory questions. They're going to be... Questions like, my daughter's moving into lesbianism. I don't know what to do with that. Can you help me? It's going to be specific questions, not just theory, all right, so that we can help, all right? So anyway, so that's kind of what's what's coming next. If you have an interest in learning more about what we're up to, we're just having a little, probably actually be more 2.30 to 4 o'clock, uh, little reception down in Wilson Hall here. So if you like what Lionshare is doing, you'd like to say, I'd like to know a little bit more, come. We'll put a little food in your mouth and, and you can hang with us, all right? So let me just kind of get exit out of this and put up uh, our session. So welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, this session that um, we're going to talk about today is, has been a, uh, an important one uh, in my life. And uh, I'm still growing in it. I'm being pushed right now in this very topic in my own journey. But, but let me uh, introduce you to some things. Thank you. So there's a book by Edward Hollowell called Crazy Busy, Overstretched, Overbooked, and About to Snap. <laughs> Does that sound like anybody in this room, all right? But here's a few statistics I thought were interesting. It's easy for us to stay busy with our phones and tablets always within reach. We are afraid of being left out if we slow down. This is where you guys, you have to be honest with your heart, right? We avoid dealing with life's really big or important issues due to busyness. And then, you know, those things come back and bite us in the butt, don't they? We simply do not know how to not be busy. Like I find a lot of people just, you know, they start twitching if they have too much time on their hands. We don't know how to walk at a right pace. 
He says this, people now sleep 2.5 hours fewer each night compared to 100 years ago. Do you know that the only way to make up sleep is sleep? It's one of the only things you can't make up another way. So like if you're, if you'd say, well, I'm in the tank by 743 hours, somehow you got to find a way to make some of that up. Think about that over a span of a month, over the span of a year, over the span of 10 years. The pacing of life. One of the values that uh, Lionshare has that we talk a lot about is finishing well. How do you finish your life well? Which means you have to begin and walk it well. How do you finish well? The average work week is longer now than it was in the 1960s. I thought this was interesting. The average office worker has 36 hours of work piled up on their desk, taking three hours a week to sort to find what we need. Think about that. 36, that's like you have a whole week's worth of work on your desk that is piled up there on top of the other work that you're supposed to be doing. We spend eight, this is kind of over our lifetime, we spend eight months of our lives opening junk mail, two years playing phone tag, and five years waiting for people that are late for meetings. Five years and ten months additional to our life, if we can figure this out. Now, a book that I want to highly recommend to you that we use in, in our thing, we do a, a kind of a leadership discipling thing from January to June each year called A Leadership Journey. And I take, it's usually a dozen, could be 10, could be 15 leaders from throughout the country, and uh, they're in various areas of society, and we walk together. They show up here in Nashville in January and April for a retreat, and, uh, and then I ask for five hours a week to watch, read, and listen to stuff that I give them. And every other week we use Zoom to process it together. A number of people in this room have been through it. You can talk to them about that. But the first question we ask on the weekend, once we kind of get the introductions done and we start moving, is I ask this question. I want you to think about this today. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? Many leaders are so busy blowing and going, they never stop to take a look at what could take me out. And if we're all honest, we could all answer that in 30 seconds. It's not a hard question. It's just that we oftentimes don't want the mirror put there. So what we do is we begin to say, how do you walk out of stuck places in your life? How do you get free? How do you help others walk in those places? Well, as we get into it, one of the first books that we read during that time is this book called Margins by Dr. Richard Swenson. It's been out for uh, about 20 years now, so it's been out for a while, but um, Richard now isn't circulating as much anymore. His wife is not doing well, so he's spending more time at home tending her, but some of his information is just remarkable. He starts with this, and each one of these things that I'm going to read, he has like a chapter on. We are overloaded with activities, change, like this is just going to make us close in prayer right now, right? We are overloaded with activities, change, choices, commitments, competition, debt, decisions, education, expectations, and entitlements, fatigue, hurry, information, media, ministry, noise, people, pollution, possessions, problems, technology, traffic, waste, and work. Should we just close in prayer now? <laughs> All right. The conditions of modern day living devour margin. It devours margin. Marginless is being 30 minutes late to the doctor's office because you were 20 minutes late getting out of the hairdresser because you were 10 minutes late dropping the kids off at school because the car ran out of gas two blocks from the gas station and you forgot your purse in the rush to get out the door. Some of you are going, that's, that's my average day. All right. If we were equipped with a flashing light to indicate 100% full, 
we could better gauge our capacities, but we don't have such an indicator light and we don't know that we are overextended until we feel the pain. It is rare to see a life pre-scheduled to only 80% leaving a margin for responding to the unexpected that God sends our way. And in the book, he encourages you in that 80 to 85%, that's where you should be living. Which means there's some choices that have to be, that means some values have to be rearranged in our lives. Okay? Margin is the space between our load and our limits. It is the amount allowed beyond that which is needed. It is something held in reserve for contingencies or unanticipated situations. Margin is the gap between rest and exhaustion, the space between breathing freely and suffocating. Think of where your margin is today. All right? So I want to talk about the pacing of Jesus. And let me just give you a quick backdrop. As I was um, just hitting 40, so I'm 60 now. So as I was hitting 40, I was noticing that, you know, there was a little bit of change of pace that I was feeling. All right? Feel it even more now. And I... I begin to, I, I, because I love God's ways, I like going to the scriptures to discover them. And so I said, Lord, you got to show me what is your ways, because I never see Jesus running around like a chicken with his head cut off, and he's always where he's supposed to be. And so I want to share with you some, some things that I have learned along the way. But, but first, Jesus was never in a hurry, never anxious, never needing to be needed or feeling important, yet he was always right on time. Some people will say, but his pace of life was not like ours. Consider, he had to walk six miles each way for a meeting. But we don't really have to factor into life. He had to secure what he was going to eat each day for every meal. That's why he told the commoners, give us, pray, give us this day our daily bread, because it wasn't like there was all these grocery stores. You had to go secure each meal. He may have had to run to the river to wash his clothes so they had time to drive before his next ministry stop. And he had to communicate person to person because he could not send text, email, call, or even snail mail. So you might go, his pace wasn't like ours. No, but the things that would cause him to have to pace his life like you and I do are still there. So what I want to do is I want to talk to you. I want to give you five practical principles over the next 20 minutes here, and I'm going to invite my friend Nancy Reese to come and join me, and we're going to uh, have a little conversation together, and then we're going to open it up for questions, okay? So that's kind of the plan. So these, these are the five discoveries that I've had that I try to make application to in my life. If I'm honest right now, I'm, I'm probably functioning on 85 to 90 percent, and the way that uh, Cheryl and I have lived our lives is we knew that in August we were going to have a bit of a break. We, had a, we both turned 60 around the same time, so we had a 10-day 10, 10 vacation. I had to come back, and I knew coming back meant I had to finish a book. I started to do some travel. Uh, we are now helping to tend our 86-year-old parents, and life has just been full. Okay, We've got at our board meeting the last few days. We have the forum this week. Next week I'm at YWAM Montana all week speaking, and then home for the weekend, then YWAM Pittsburgh. I have a gal, Mary Mercer, coming from Pittsburgh that I'm doing a life plan for, and then I get to take five days off for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Then I have a push through mid-December, then we take two weeks off. We, we ask our office just to shut down for two weeks. So between when I knew the end of July, 1st of August, and that Christmas vacation, there's about five months that I knew I was going to have to do quite a bit of sprinting. Okay, So I know that. So it's like I planned it that way. Okay. 
And so, but I'm being honest with you, I feel like I'm about 85% right now. And I've got, I've got more and I'm going to take a break here over the weekend. So before I go to Montana, it's not a stress point and I have to finish, finish the, the publishing house that's working with their books, ask me to make a couple of changes that I need to spend time doing. So I know all that, but my goal is I'm not going to let that book drift. It's going to be done by December 15th. So that when we can go on Friday night, December 19th and go to our Grace Chapel Christmas play that night, which means I don't have to go on Sunday, <laughs> then I've got two weeks off. Two weeks off, which lets me back up to 100% to start the year until Cheryl and I lead a group, kind of a Christian history thing in Hawaii in April, and then we're going to take a week off there. So I know, okay, we got three and a half months of sprinting, and then we've built it in. And I want you to start thinking that way, okay? Let me give you these five principles of Jesus. The first one we find here in John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, so he knew this, to depart out of the world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, in other words, secure who he was, knew where he was from, where he was going, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here's the principle. Pacing point number one. Jesus was secure in who he was, where he came from, where he was going, so he could serve others. In other words, his identity was not in his serving. His identity was in the Father. So much of what we do revolves around our identity being stroked. I'm valuable. I'm needed. I'm important. All this stuff. And one of the pacing points we have to recognize of Jesus, he, he didn't chase that stuff. He knew where he came from, he knew who he was, and he knew what he was called to do. Therefore, he could get up from the table, do the unusual thing that only a servant would do in a home, just a wash bunch of dirty feet. They didn't exactly have Nikes or nice shoes, you know, back. It was, it was, you know, nice sandals, but their feet were dirty. And he did that job. And he wasn't going, oh my, what are they going to think if I do this? They're not going to think I'm the Messiah anymore. I, he wasn't, he didn't care. And so one of the pacing points that we have to understand about this is, have you taken care of these inner issues of your life? Or are you doing things because I love to be needed? Well, of course, who doesn't? But does that drive you? Or is it, I, 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 you know, I can't leave that role, even though I, I know God's saying something to me about it. I can't leave that role because the reality is I won't be as important anymore because I don't have that title. And we're clinging to a role when your father's saying, would you just let that go? I got something over here for you. But see, if our identity is attached to, to being needed or to that role or being important or whatever, we're, we're going to miss out. And it's going to drive our pace. So like, why are you worn out? Well, because I got to be involved in this. Otherwise, I'm not going to be, be that important in people's eyes anymore. They're going to lose sight of me. Consider our social media. If I don't tweet, if I don't Instagram, if I don't, guess what? They're, they're gonna, I'm going to get off their radar. Is that stuff important to communicate to the world what we're doing? Yes. Should we be driven about it? No. Are you guys tracking with me? Yes. Okay. Let's look at a second one. 
John 5, 19-20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Here's the second pacing point. Jesus did only what he saw his Father doing. Jesus did only what he saw his Father doing. This speaks to me of Jesus' prayer life, his alone time with God. That A, he sought the Lord about things. Like, do you remember? Like, before he said, okay, you, 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 and you, and by the way, Peter, bring your brother, you know, before he did that, it said he spent the whole night in prayer. He sought the Lord. All right? So because he sought the Lord, when he's walking out of, let's call it his morning quiet time, the radar is going boop, 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 and he's sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's now doing in and through him during the rest of the day. But he only did what he saw the Father doing. So in other words, you guys, here's the deal. It's not what you think needs to happen for your church. Like, like here's something I want you to think about. If you were to retrace, we actually had a pastor that I was serving with had us do this. He said, retrace all the way back to the initiation of the ministry that you're now leading. And he said, I want you to ask two questions. Number one, is there an altar point where without a doubt you can look into my eyes and say, it was here in this place written down in this journal where the word of the Lord came to me that I was to initiate this. And secondly, whoever was the leaders around it, were they in agreement? If there's not an altar point and agreement by the leadership, we're going to let that area of ministry die because we're trying to bring to life something God never birthed and we're asking people to give their time and money to it. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. And I would submit to you that many of our ministries, regardless of what it is we do, we've never asked Jesus about it. Yeah. And yes, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. There's no doubt about that. And when you run into her at the mailbox, you can love on her. But there may be times the Holy Spirit in prayer, out of fellowship, friendship, relationship with God, he may say, I'd like you to do this. Because here's the principle. What God initiates, he permeates. What you initiate, you have to sustain. And that's why we're worn out. And sometimes we think it's the devil that is getting in to try to ruin our thing when it's actually your Heavenly Father trying to crush it because he says, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. But I never initiated this. Can we just get it out of the way so we can get on with what I'm calling you to? <laughs> Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. Is that a reference point? In other words, if this is not a reference point in your life, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And it's kind of like this, hoping God blesses it. Now, I'll tell you something. In my 42 years of ministry, I, and I may be wrong, and I acknowledge that, I still have not been able to find anywhere in the Bible where man initiates something and asks God to bless it, and he does. It's always God starts the conversation. Noah, build an ark. Joshua, walk around the walls of Jericho. On and on and on it goes. The question you have to ask is, am I doing what I'm doing because God initiated and breathed life on it, or am I doing it for a whole other reason? It might lead to repentance, which might lead to a new place and space in your life. You tracking? Sobering, isn't it? All right? But I would encourage you, don't, don't go la, 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 and run by this one. Because it will catch up to you and bite you in the rear end. Third, 
Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Like, if that's me, I'm, I'm in the car driving to the hospital, picking up flowers, or if it's a guy in a sports magazine or whatever, so I can walk in, like, within an hour or two of when they're there. Not Jesus. He stays two days longer. It's like, what is that? <laughs> Here's what that is. Jesus was not driven by needs, but rather was motivated by obedience. Does Jesus care about needs more than you and I could ever imagine? But he was not driven by them. I, I, I was about pulling my hair out one day years ago when someone says, said this, if you see the need, it means you're called to it. I'm saying, you're out of your mind. I see needs all the time. But that is a non-Jesus-pacing culture kind of comment. If you see the need, you're called to it. No. You're going to see all kinds of needs, but God is the one who assigns you and me to where he wants us. The key is, if we're all yielded to the lordship of Jesus, walking in friendship with him, and we do what the Father has asked us to do, guess what? Every assignment on the planet, box checked off. The problem is, we don't. We go after the thing so that our egos can be stroked, we can be needed, we can feel important, can't be forgotten, all that kind of stuff. And that's part of the reason your insides are upside down and you're running around and you're going, why can't I have peace? These are the ways of God. The ways of God is how God does stuff. All right? Jesus was not driven by needs, but rather was motivated by obedience to his Father. And again, that doesn't mean needs are. I'm not lowering needs. I'm just raising up obedience. By the way, let me just say this while I'm here. There's times in my life that there's been a need I've been tending by an assignment from the Lord. And the only way I can describe it to you is it feels like the grace is lifting. I no longer, it's like I've had the grace you know, meaning the peace, the effort, the heart to serve. But all of a sudden now it's starting to lift. I'm going, Lord, why am I, what is it? Now this is becoming hard. It's one of the signs that the Lord is lifting something from you and maybe wants to reassign you. Pay attention to that. Don't use it as an excuse. Well, the grace is lifted. Don't, don't use an excuse. Just between you and God, maybe a few friends you can process with. All right, why is this much harder than it used to be? That was a free tip. All right, so here's the fourth one, Mark 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him that all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Again, Jesus had to deal with stuff. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Here's the next principle. Jesus rested with his friends for a while. Isn't that awesome? So like when you're saying, hey, we're planning a week down in such and such, you know, to be by the water and da-da-da-da. Well, man, don't you think you should be, let me just show you a little passage here. How Jesus read, you know. But you guys, it, it's like Jesus rested with his friends for a while. So whether that's family or friends. In other words, there was a 
yes, there, there's an alone time in this too. We know Jesus being away, but there's, and that's fine because you can go for a walk on the beach alone even with your, when you're with your friends. But the idea here is, A, Jesus rested. He took time to rest. The Son of God, who could have called on supernatural power to go through everything, because after all, I'm only here 33 years. <laughs> he rested. He rested, and he rested with his friends. In other words, who are those people around him that renewed him and encouraged him? Jesus rested for a while. Okay? Fifth one, Matthew 28, you know this one. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The fifth pacing point is Jesus multiplied his life within others. One of the things for me, we, we could say Jesus discipled others as well, but I, I'm just making a point here. Jesus multiplied his life within others. One of the things that I often have compassion for pastors on is the reality that I don't have time to disciple. And I want to say, no, you actually, you, have, you don't have time not to because you're not supposed to be caring at all. But if you don't disciple people around God's character and around his ways and into his mission, you get to do it all. But if you multiply, like, would it not be awesome to know, and I'm just making this up, your senior associate pastor that oversees small groups and helps preach and teach, your worship leader, your um, youth pastor, your men and women's leader, and, you know, the children's pastor, you fill all those and say they're your six or seven staff. Wouldn't it be awesome to know that you've discipled them to a point that you don't have to go, did you pray about it? Because they wouldn't come to you unless they had like pastors go, that would be awesome. Because how often is we just we have to discern between is this just a good idea or is this a God idea? Okay. On my team, Darren and Sonia and Cheryl, it's like I know that they've been chewing it over, going to the Lord on it. So when they want to say something to me that has some heft, I know this has already been run before the Lord. So guess what? It puts me on high alert, like I need to hear this. It's not, well, I don't I don't like that. It's like, okay, if Darren's coming to me and saying, Hey, Dave, I think I'm trusting that he's been before the Lord. He may have even bounced this off of other counsel, like his wife. That's way better than me going like, did you pray about this? <laughs> but your staff will not do that unless you disciple them to do that. Imagine if you discipled them on, on a, which we feel is a pretty huge biblical thing that the church often doesn't do well. We should be the best relators in the universe because God is the best relator in the universe. Followers of Jesus, bar none, should be the best relators in the world. But if, you don't, if you've come from a bad background and you, nobody's taught you how and you're just grumpy or whatever the case may be, or you're Eeyore, I knew it was going to, you know. <laughs> Unless you disciple your staff to be good relators, you're going to have to always say, like, so did you, youth group leader, did you talk to the parents about that before you decided to show that particular movie at the retreat? Where if you knew that they're a good relator, they probably, it's like, hey, why don't you put the relational thing out there a little bit and kind of get some counsel and see and make sure there's some unity there. You're not having to worry about that. You guys, there is more work for pastors to do than is needed, and it's because they're not discipling. You guys tracking with me? Yeah. 
And, and we could say the same about business owners. You could say the same about your family. You could say that at any category where leadership needs to be provided, when you're not discipling, it means more work for you, which means wearing you out even more. So if we look at just kind of a summary of this, Jesus was secure in who he was, where he came from, and where he was going, so he could serve others. Jesus did only what he saw his father doing. Yeah, I'll keep this up here. If you need to stand to take a picture, feel free to do that, all right, because I know this is going to be in the way. Jesus was not driven by needs, but rather was motivated by obedience. Jesus rested with his friends for a while, and Jesus multiplied his life with others. Now, I am not saying to you, this is the five... I'm just telling you, these are the five that I've discovered, and there's been enough in here that continues to challenge me to this day. But this is a pace that Jesus walked in that led him not be anxious, not just needing to be needed, not hurrying and scurrying around, but rather to be where he needed to be on time, fully in grace, fully in truth, and with much authority. You tracking with me? Yeah. Okay, so practical questions. How, like Jesus, is your current pace? And then what's the first step? What's the first step of obedience to Jesus that you can begin to take today to adjust your pace to be more like his? Because that's how it, don't, don't all of a sudden go, okay, I gotta go read the book, book a margin by tomorrow night. See, that's the same pace, right? I'm reading margin. I gotta get it done tonight. Okay, maybe take some margin and read margin, all right? See? But, but what's the first step? And you guys, I would, I would really encourage you, because most of you are here away from the daily things of life. This is the best space to be able to have that kind of conversation with the Lord. Lord, what's my first step to getting my pace rightly aligned? Because if you're being honest, most of you, your pace, you know, it's not going to make it. And some of it has to do, some of it has to do with this inner stuff. Anxiety, fear, all that, all that stuff. Like if you don't let the Lord take care of that, then you're making decisions out of anxiety and fear. And guess what? That spills out into the way you relate to people. Instead of out of peace, out of joy, out of faith. Like sometimes we forget, no matter how deep the pit, you have a God who can reach in and pull you out of that and push you down the field. We've got to always remember that. Always remember that. It doesn't mean you don't stare that thing in the eye. You should stare that thing in the eye and you need to deal with it. But you always got to remember who you're dealing with. The risen one. Okay? That should stem the tide of anxiety and of fear and those kinds of things. Okay? Can you help me kind of adjust here, Mike? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, the application one? Yeah, so how did your patient So I'm going to have Nancy Reese come and join me. Um, Sonia, who is on our staff with Lions here, is a part of a, a solitude group of women that Nancy is leading. And Nancy and I have walked together for almost a decade now. She um, started something called the Pastoral Leadership Academy that ministered to a lot of pastors here in our community and a little bit beyond our community. And um, she has uh, been one of the people that I have watched try, because Nancy was, is, is by nature a driver. Let's get it done now. <laughs> but I've watched Nancy in the last five, six years of her life step back and let the Lord do this, reorient some of these things. And so she will tell you that she's a work in progress, but she's way down the road and it is making tremendous fruit in her life. So we want to talk about that and then we'll leave some time for questions. Okay.
Do we want to move this out of the yeah. way here? Let's close it. So, Nance, why don't you take a few minutes and whoa, and give them your story? Let's, let's just hold this so it's easy to check on. And help if it's on. <laughs> so, um, David said it. I'm wired as a driver. If you put a goal in front of me, I like to smash through it. Um, I don't do ready, set, go. I do ready, go. Um, I just, I move. And one of the signs of that was when I would say, I'm slowing down, my friends would look at me like I didn't know what I was talking about. And I knew I had taken some stuff off my plate, but they'd still look at me and say, you still do twice as much as anybody else we know does. So, um... That's, I was kind of wired that way. I grew up on a farm. You just go out and do what you got to get done. And just there's a lot of reasons why I ended up that way. And so I had a 20-year career with a Y um, that was highly successful, but, you know, goal-driven and get it done. And then I left the Y and I went into corporate work for about <coughs> 10 years. Same thing. You got to get your clients. You got to, uh, you know, bring in income. You're feeding your family. All those kinds of things, so very, very goal-oriented. And in um, 2012, uh, you all know San Hurricane Sandy came up the east coast of New York and did a, a lot of devastation. Well, that was in October, and most of that year I had been traveling internationally and nationally in order to do what I did, which was leadership consulting and executive coaching. And um, I found myself flying into Hurricane Sandy because someone had hired me to come out and work with their board, and they chose not to cancel it because the hurricane was coming. My husband was rather angry when he took me to the airport. He said, we are going the wrong way. I said, but I don't have a choice. If the client I called and said, are you really going to do this? And he says, yes, I'm going. I got stranded uh, with everybody else. Um, but in that time, I had some quiet time because there was no electricity, you couldn't use your phone because you weren't going to be able to recharge it, so you were saving it to be able to call the airport. <laughs> um, and so in that time, I just had this time to sit, and the Lord said, I want you to take a 30-day sabbatical. And I knew I needed it. And by then, I learned the importance of being obedient to the Lord and just when he says something, you got to do it because it doesn't go well if you don't. So um, I came back, and I made the choice to do that, and I also knew that if I took 30 days off and there were 1,200 emails that I had to come back to, I would cheat. I would cheat and I would look at my emails. So I said, I'm going to not look at email and I'm going to wipe them all out when I get back and never look at them. Wow. And that's what I did. Wow. And, I told, and I told my clients I was going to do that. So they all got a, a message, and then there was out-of-office message as well that said, I'm on sabbatical, I will not be reading email, and I will de be deleting all emails oh um, when I return. And I put, because I know... Do we need to pray for you now? <laughs> <laughs> that's so smart that she told her clients, I'm going to delete them. Like, that's awesome. I, but I told them, I'm, and the reason I'm doing this is because I know I'll cheat. I mean, I was just real honest with them. I know myself well enough to know 
if I think I gotta go through 1,200 emails, I'm not doing this. So that's what I did. At the, at the end of the 30 days, God said to me, I don't want you to set any goals. And by the way, you only lost one client. Yeah, I only lost one client who went to somebody else. Everybody else waited, came back, and emailed me or contacted me when I got back. So, um, but I heard the Lord say, you can't set any goals. I went, uh, are you kidding? You know me. You know I'm driven by goals. I don't, I got a business. I've got income goals. I've got sales goals. I've got all these different things. He said, no goals. That was hard. That was really hard. Um, because I, my uh, pattern had been at the end of the year, I would have time of prayer, and I would write down goals for the year. And now I wasn't going to write down any goals. A year into that, I said, can I do some goals now? He said, nope. <laughs> Two years into that, I didn't care if I set a goal again. I really didn't. So it changed you. It changed me. It changed my heart. Um, and I, I had learned earlier than that that, you know, in Deuteronomy 8.15, it says, um, be careful when your fields are green and your houses are full and your cows are fat and happy, because then you will say, I provided this when it was the Lord your God who provided it. And so I learned that a few years earlier than that, but I don't think, I probably had that in my head, not my heart. And God took that two years to say, I provide for you. And so... Um, so let me ask you this, yeah. Nancy. Does that mean goals aren't good? No, goals are good, and I set a few goals. I might set a weight loss goal if I need to, or exercise goal, that kind of thing. Uh, but goals shouldn't drive you. It's, it's the pacing principle about, you know, don't let the needs drive you. Don't, don't let those things drive you. Pause, slow down, listen to what God's saying. And so um, I went through a whole prioritization exercise where I looked at everything I'd said yes to, asked three questions. How would I feel if it wasn't in my life? How would I feel if it was in the only thing in my life? And then why did I say yes? Say those, can you say those yeah. again because people are writing so the first question was how would I feel if this wasn't in my life so you know maybe you've agreed to coach your child's soccer team and you're going yeah I don't want this in my life <laughs> um, and then you ask how would you feel if this was the only thing in your life I'd feel terrible if all I was doing was coaching soccer why did you do it because when I prayed about being asked to be a coach I heard the Lord say do this you will spend time with your child and you'll spend time with other children and you can be discipling while you're doing that. So so there's a reason to do something I don't really want to do because God called me to do it. Versus they asked me, I didn't think about it, I said yes, and then I'm in bondage, which is what I used to do. So so you guys third question. Oh third question was why am I doing it? Which is where you did I it's what they said. Where God initiates he permeates. So one of the things that, that I think both Nancy and I have, would watch and see with people is we often start with the changing of our schedule or changing of activity when you need to take it a step back and say, what are priorities? And you need to take it a step further back. What do I value? Because you make decisions based out of what you value. Okay, What you value, you give your best time, best efforts, and your best resources to. 
And you guys, if you would ask the Holy Spirit, if you invite the Holy Spirit to say, would you really show me what I value? He'll show you, and you'll be shocked. Let me illustrate this. So I'm a football guy. I've played it my whole life, love it. Uh, about 2007, so I, 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 well, no, it would have been earlier than that because I stopped in 05, into, oh, so it must have been 05. I was coaching my son's high school football team. Uh, my, I was in a fantasy football league. On Saturday mornings, I like to watch the University of Tennessee. I'm a diehard Minnesota Vikings fan because I grew up there, which just means I die hard every year. And, uh, but I do have hope. And, uh, um, and so I'd watch that game. And then, and then, you know, if there was a Monday night game on or and then also Thursday night. And so Cheryl came to me while we were praying. We do prayer retreats. This is part of our pacing. Twice a year, Cheryl and I will get away for two or three days and we'll seek the Lord about everything that's important in our lives. What school should our kids be going to, Lord? To Cheryl's an artist. What about her painting? What do we do with that? What do we do with lion's here? What about my speaking trial? What are you saying? Why? Because we're trying to do what the Father's showing us. Husbands and wives, I highly encourage you to do this. If you need help on that, contact our lion's share office. We'll put a Sonia, help me with this. So I have a document that we can make a PDF of how do you do a prayer retreat. You go to lionshare.org, you can download that. Okay. If you're single, get two or three other singles and go away and say go and do like a Friday afternoon, evening, Saturday, maybe Sunday, and you each take a segment. So these are my four hours where you two friends wait on the Lord on my behalf with me. Okay, so you can do that. Well, so Cheryl and I are in the process of doing one of those. And we always begin with, Lord, is there anything in our hearts that's not right before you or with each other? Well, as we're doing this, Cheryl looks at me and she says this. And my wife is very gentle, very wise. And she says this to me, honey, I, I just want to run something by you. Oh, okay. She says, I wonder if football's become an idol. What? <laughs> I mean, that's like my, my first one. What? <laughs> Who have you been talking to? Have you been talking to other wives? Like, what's, what's, what, you, what could that possibly mean? And then she started listening. You coach, which takes five days a week, and a game. You're in a fantasy football league with friends. You watch UT, you watch the Vikings, and then if there happens to be a good game, whatever that means, on Monday night or Thursday night, you're doing that. <laughs> so we're in a, we're in our prayer time, right? And so I said, I need to, I do need to ask the Lord because if Cheryl's seeing that, there's nobody that cares more about me than my wife. If she's seeing that, she's not poking and prodding me. She's seeing something, and the Lord showed me. I want you to enjoy watching the Vikings. I want you to be in the fantasy league with your friends, and I want you to coach the rest of it. You just need to leave alone. Okay? You, you have to allow others to speak into your life to see some of those. Like, I, I just would not have seen it, because it's a, it's a fun, refreshing thing, and she knows that. She's the first one when we used to play Saturday morning football with friends in the fall. She was the first to say, yeah, go. And then I'd come home like this. Yeah. It was awesome! You know, <laughs> but, but she knew I was refreshed. Okay, so sports does that for me. She knows that. So it had nothing to do with throwing a blanket on something that refreshes me. It was just how much time was I giving to it. Mm -hmm. And so you even have to look at things like that. Okay. So let me share one more story of a big benefit that came out of all this. And I wish I had not been in my 50s when I learned this. I wish I'd been in my 40s or 30s. Um, but 
But because I was driven and I had all this stuff to do, if, if you had an appointment to have lunch with me, if, I, if I, that doesn't sound good, but if we were going to have lunch together, I would have allowed an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and then, you know, half an hour to get wherever I got to go and do that kind of thing. And that was pretty much, and I often loved having lunch with people and pouring into them and, and learning from them, and that was fun. Um, but when I started to slow down, instead of an hour and 15 minutes, I would make a two and a half hour time space. Because I didn't know what the Lord was going to do in that time. So the very first time I went to lunch with somebody, and I'd been coaching with her and working with her for a while, but I allowed two and a half hours. The amount that we could do in that time, and it was about a two-hour lunch. And I, I am sorry to say it's the first two-hour lunch I'd ever had in my corporate career. It was my first two-hour lunch I ever had in my corporate career. And it could have been two and a half. I just never allowed the time to go deeper and we went deeper, and we accomplished more by doing less in that time period. And it just, it changed my whole perspective of margin. I had enough margin that if I, she needed more time and we needed to go deeper in what she was working on, I had the time and the patience to do it. So I do have a goal now, and it's, it came from Dallas Willard, and it is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Mm -hmm. He said, if, that's, if you want to hear from the Holy Spirit and hear from God, that's the number one thing you need to do in your life. So that's my goal now is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, and I often remind myself of that. That's excellent. You guys, um, and I want you to think about this. Do you wear busyness like a badge? Because it makes us feel important. Oh, you know, I'd like to get to you, but uh, it's going to be about eight weeks. Because did you see how busy I am? I'm so wanted by everybody. So needed. And we can wear busyness like a badge where you want to wear his presence as a person. When I was a young guy, part of my journey is from 18 to 25, I was with the organization called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. And I was a department head leader for youth ministry. And so they would have a monthly department head meeting where everybody on the YWAM base, there's probably 350 people or so on the base, and so you had about 25 department head leaders. And we would, we would strategize and talk and all that, and we had two hours set off to do this, and then we would uh, pray, but usually because of how much we act, we would end up having like 10 minutes to pray. So... The leader wisely said, let's start with prayer. Let's feel free to throw out things. I've been trying to do this now with our team because I find with our team we can run out of time because mm -hmm. we, we're talking about important stuff. And we use our team time for relationship and how are we doing all that stuff too. But I've just started to say, okay, let's start with prayer. And so we started throwing out things, put them up on a board, and we spent like a half an hour in prayer. The meeting was done in an hour and a half instead of two hours. Somehow when you pray, then you meet and deal with those things that allows the Spirit of God to come in. And he just goes, well, let me just take care of this, 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 and this for you. But if we don't, again, but see, that's symptomatic of doing what the Father's doing. In other words, you're looking there first. So I want to encourage you to consider that in your meetings, is to begin them with prayer. And then jump into the meeting. And you're going to find that for some reason, God just kind of speeds some things up or he may give you clarity on something you'd have been talking for three hours about or all of a sudden just that fast you know. So just be, just be considering that kind of thing as well. So, so let, me, let me just, we've got 
I don't know, 10, 12 minutes left, open up for some questions. Like, what, just sitting here listening, what are, what are things going on in your heart and mind that we could help you bring some application to this? Say a few more words about the grace lifting. Yes. So the question is, can you say a few more words about the grace lifting? So um, I learned this when I was in my late 30s, and I was sitting over here at Belmont Church, and we had a guest speaker from Cincinnati. I forget the gentleman's name. And he, at the time, had just hit 50, and he was describing that season of life. And by the way, that's another thing that we do with, with Lion's Share is help people understand their seasons of life so they can best cooperate with God. Because in different seasons, God's doing different things. For example, if you're in your 20s and 30s, it's more about what God's building in you than what he's trying to do through you. And if you don't catch that, you're striving for a position when God's going, I'm interested. I'll bring the position like this. You just let me build it inside of you, character, integrity, what I want to build. Okay. And so this guy was talking about his change of season. And in the midst of that, um, he made this comment, and that's what tweaked my ear. So this is about 1998 or 99, and he said... He said, when you have been going about doing something, or you're invited to do something, here's how I kind of look at it. So let's say this is the something right here. I kind of go like this, just trying to make it visual. And I say, okay, God, I'm going to extend grace over that and see if it abides there, if it quickly just melts. By the, do I have grace for it? It means do I have hope, faith, and courage related to doing that? Do I have a sense of yes in heart? And I'm not talking about like you guys, if I'm honest, dealing with aging parents, it's for their love, for our love for them and their lives, easy. But does it mean every time that you just can, I can hardly wait to go do that? No. Okay, it's not. It's not always there. That's not out of a lack of love because we love them. That's why we're faithful to do it. But you have to be honest in your heart. And so God gives Cheryl and I the thing that's beautiful right now so my brother Tom and his wife Mindy live here. Cheryl and I are here. So often, like this morning, there was a text thread. So any one of us who's available can say, I got that gap. Like Cheryl the other day jumped in when Tom said, I can't get mom to the doctor. And Cheryl said, I got that. And we look, and we all have, we have grace to carry it together. I'm so glad Tom and Mindy are here. And they'd say, we're so glad, David, because, but then there'd be a different grace for it too, right? But sometimes in transitions, I think we go on too long when you just feel this sense of like, there's not the same oomph to it anymore. There's not this, and that doesn't mean, like you don't do that with your marriage. It's just not the same oomph. You work on your marriage, all right? That's a commitment, all right? That's a vow before the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like with a, a role that you play. That sometimes the grace lifts. I think I've done this season of teaching Sunday school. Like you guys, I just on... Monday night at the church we're at, I, I sat down on the front edge of the steps when our gathering of our, our men was done. I've been our men's pastor 10 hours a week the last decade. And I sat down, and the guy who's taking my role sat next to me, and I just said, hey, guys, it's been a privilege for me the last 10 years. I just, Shell and I had our prayer retreat in January, and the Lord began to show me that grace was lifting here. It was time for the ball to be handed to someone else. And so I just want to let you know it's been an honor, and this is going to be your new guy. And and, you know, someone asked me right after, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm good, because not only did I, am I obeying the Lord, but I'm thrilled about the new guy that's going to mm, take it. And then our pastor said, are you still willing to help us a little, the same window? I said, I am. What, what do you got in mind? He said, can you pastor our four guys, four young guys that are planting churches and just pour your leadership wisdom into new pastor, young pastors? I'd love to. Mm -hmm. Can you still pinch in the pulpit? I'd love to. But it's a different role. 
one, when I'm leading our guys, it's a church of 6,500, so you got a lot of guys. And so when you're doing that, it's like there's a lot of admin. And, and uh, to be really honest, since I've hit 60, I'm willing to put as much work in as I can on messages, on books. But when it comes to the research or the, or the leadership oversight and all that of the day-to-day, -day, that grace is it's almost like it's gone. Now, if we, if we have a D4 event and Darren and Sonia say, we all know it's a two-day event, can I be on point for that? Yeah, two days is fine. But I realized that outside of putting the effort into preaching, teaching, communication, books, I just want to be with people where I can unzip my heart and let God pour out for me into their lives. That's where I am. So the grace to run a day-by-day -day kind of ministry thing, that's, that's just gone. I'm so grateful for Darren back there. Darren used to w work in the White House, knows how to run stuff. I'm going, if it's good enough for the president, it's good enough for me. All right? And so, um, but so does that help you? Okay, good. Yeah. So do you have any practical advice on, uh, it seems like text messages and just the phone in general seem to like, no matter how much margin that's put in, it's like... That's the hardest. That's the hardest thing because yeah. it's it's it can bombard you totally. You know, so I don't know how you guys navigate that. I want to start yeah. this now. So, um, what's the question? Thank you. The question was, uh, thank you, Kent, for that. The question, <laughs> the question was, what do you do with with your phone? Basically, text messages, Facebook, Instagram. You know, where people can get a hold of you. How do you manage that when it seems like it always bombards you? So um, I can tell you. I'm not a huge Facebook user, but it's not on my phone. It's only on my iPad, which I only have at home. So I'm, I can't get distracted by Facebook with that. Um, but I'm really good at turning my phone to silent and, and, not, and I don't let it vibrate unless I know I've got to get, something's going to come through that I've got to get. So I've been here two days now. And I was in a conference in North Carolina before I came here. My phone has been on no notifications for a week. And I get to it later in the evening or whenever I have a little time to be able to deal with it. But, um, gosh, years ago there was a movie, and I don't even remember which one it was, but uh, it may have been The Odd Couple or something. The phone was ringing and people were getting upset because he wasn't answering it. He said, the phone has no constitutional right to be answered. <laughs> and I've just never forgotten that phrase. It was just like, you know, I, I, I will get to you, but it's not like, unless it's like my child trying to reach out. I, I do have it, you know, you can program your phone so certain ones get through. Um, so unless you have that, you just have to practice to do that. Because here's what happens. You go in and you're going to, Meet with somebody. I was down at the Connection Center early this morning because I needed to do some time. And um, if you pick up your phone, you miss the ability to connect with somebody else, to have a conversation. Uh, sometimes God's in the steam of your soup. You're sitting there and you, and you just suddenly you hear something from the Lord. You're not going to hear it if you've got your phone in front of you. And so it is, to me one of the worst things that we have that disconnects us from being able to hear from the Lord. Because what is it? We just, and they've shown there's research that says you are addicted to your phone. People have to, I have a granddaughter who has a significant other. Um, we're not sure fiance yet or not, if it, so it's not official, but you can tell they're just really in love. He's going through an Emmaus walk this weekend. He had to leave his phone behind for four days and no watch. 
he was really struggling. And it's going to be one of the best things he's ever done, is to find out that he can untether from that and connect to the people he's going to be around. So it's a choice. It really is a choice to say, I'm going to turn it to silent. I'm not going to bring it with me, whatever that choice needs to be. So behind, so Nancy just gave you incredible practical wisdom. Behind that is this. This is here to serve you, not for you to be enslaved to it. Yeah, that's good. You have to look at it this so like for me, to answer your question, the only noises this makes is text message because it's often my family or my team or it rings for my phone call. If I'm dealing with Nepal like I am right now with some things we're doing there, then I put my WhatsApp and it gives me a ding because we're dealing with some crucial decisions right now. But, but I, don't, I don't let this guide me. And when I am in a meeting, I just shut it off. Now I will tell you something that I do is sometimes when I have a meeting with somebody that I know is, is tied to this, I will, it will be on my desk here, and I'm, I'm sitting this way with them meeting away from my desk, but I'll just have it sitting on there, and I will purposely leave it on. So, and then maybe in that hour, maybe there were six text messages, and every time they're like, do you need to get that? I, it's like I didn't even hear it, and I'm just like this, I'm listening. I'm purposely showing them you don't have to be guided by that, but they're, I'm fine, I'm dialed in. And they're going, do you need to get that? No, I'm good. Keep going. And I purposely do it just to show them and model for them. You don't have to be driven by this. It's still going to be there. Okay? And so the, the easiest way for you to look at that is this is a gift of God to serve you. The enemy wants to make it something that you become enslaved to. Yeah, and destructive. Yeah. Okay? So, so when I have a goal to limit, ruthlessly eliminate hurry, part of that is the smartphone. There is no hurry to get back to unless it's a specific issue that's come through. So uh, we hope this has been helpful to you. It's, it's a desire of ours. Lion's share, a lot of what we realize we do is, like you know that story in Isaiah where the, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Remember that story? And there's an upward look where he sees God. There's an inward look where, woe is me, I'm undone, you know, my, my lips. And then there is the outward look of here am I, send me. We as a society right now in the body of Christ focus a lot on the seeing God, which is great. We encounter God. That's where it all starts. And we skip the shaping and go right to the sending. We've got to be a people that realizes the shaping of God in people's lives is really, really important. That begins with your shaping. Closing statement is this. Why are we doing this here at the National Disciple Making Forum? Because you as disciple makers, if you're not pacing your life right, what, however you pace is how you're going to disciple those you're pouring into pace. So it begins with you. And you letting God redefine your pace so that those you disciple can have more of a pace of Jesus. All right. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be together today. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to take these things and, and would you highlight just those one or two truths that we can begin to walk with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me just show you one thing before you go. It's a gift we'd like to give you if you'd like it. So this is something we did a number of years ago with spiritual fathers, the Jack Haferts, Henry Blackabees, Lauren Cunninghams of the world. It's called Wisdom for Difficult Times. It's a DVD series. It's, it's gold. And we sat them all in a half circle and asked them questions, and they consulted the ways of God together. 
And if you'd like this, we'd like to give this to you. The only thing you need is just pay for shipping. Mel, stand in back there and uh, just give us your name and your phone number and a link will be sent to you next week that you can click on. And Darren said it's $8.99 for shipping. Okay, so we'll send this to you. It's something you could use in a small group, something as a family, something for your leaders. It's gold. Okay, so anyway, just a gift to say thanks for coming. All right, have a good rest of your day. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out the discipleship.org collective and get your free membership with tons of resources. There's a premium version too. Check it out at discipleship.org slash collective. Thanks for listening. Until next time.